Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. I am talking to you today from Costa Rica. If you hear a bunch of cicadas and crazy sounds in the background, it's because I'm deep in the literal jungle right now. And on the show today, I have someone so special that I'm beyond excited to introduce, Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary is a digital media mogul, a serial entrepreneur, motivational speaker, tech investor, New York Times bestselling author, venture capitalist, founder of VaynerMedia. The list is so long, I'm literally losing my breath. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Man, this resume is so long and impressive. Do you have one of these roles that you identify with more than the others? Um, probably entrepreneur. You know, I, you know, even listening to you like rattle it off, I was kind of like smirking. You know, it's really fun when you're entrepreneurial, you tend to do different things. And so you get to do a lot of different things, try a bunch of different things. But I think the thing that I no question most associate with is just being an entrepreneur which is the overarching theme of that whole kind of like intro. Yeah, it relates to all of that. Hard to separate from all the others. So um, this podcast, it's called From the Heart. And I would love to just start there, you know, speaking totally from the heart right in this moment where you're at. How, how are you doing? That's awesome. I love that. I'm doing really well. I'm wildly driven by gratitude. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much in a place where I'm going to answer positively to the question you just asked, the far majority of my life, only withstanding, you know, the death and illnesses of the people I love the most, which would give a different answer. But it, every second that I'm lucky enough to not be in a situation where that's the case for somebody I love, I'm in a pretty good mood. I'm, I'm a little bit of an old soul that way. If everybody's healthy, I kind of struggle to be upset about business mistakes or shortcomings or or things that didn't go the way I wanted or opportunities missed or judgment of others or you know a lot of things that I think tend to bring people down when I just wish that they had the perspective of health and everything else is secondary yeah I, I I really love that about you and I think that's why it's it's so easy to follow along on your journey it's so easy to listen to you speak actually right before we got on this call my brother who is a notoriously kind of grumpy guy he said hey you have Gary V on the podcast man he is as positive as I am negative <laughs> I said that's such a such a good way to describe you man it's such a it's such a wonderful thing I would I would argue and 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 ponder it almost makes me think like we're two sides of the same coin I think it's a protective mechanism I think I think a lot of people who tend to, you know, my father's pretty cynical and, and can be negative. And, and I've always seen that as him protecting himself, right? And in a lot of ways, I think I do the same with extreme positivity, which is, you know, it really actually has a very similar nuance to each other. And I think it's practical. But I very much don't judge people that are overly, you know, negative. I don't, I don't like it, but I don't like it for them. Because I think they're trying to do the same thing. And I think there's a different way to go about it. And when you change someone's perspective on that, you know, just really, there's two ways to win a sports game. It's offense and defense. And for me, I just think it's in life, it's a lot more fun to be on the offense. It's an easier life to live, I think, in the long run. But what about, you know, because everyone obviously experiences hard emotions, tough shit, tough days. How do you deal with when you have a a crappy day or something doesn't go your way? Do you have a way where you process those emotions you think differently than other people do? 
I think up front, I expect them. You know, I think if you're up to something significant or trying to achieve something of some sort of scale that you need to, I, I, I'm a big fan that like I've signed up for this. I'm going for it. So with that, there should be a lot of difficult moments. I mean, I would argue my day is filled with negative micro moments, right? Like when you are running something, you're basically just trying to fix things. And so, A, I think a lot of people are like, I'm going to start a business. And then when it's challenging, they're upset. And I'm like, you wanted to live on your own terms. Like that's a minority of people. Like I would argue that you should know what you're signing up for. So A, knowing what I'm signing up for. And then B, in its most extreme state, when it's got control of me, or there's just, you know, many times in my life and in my career, three to four significantly bad things can happen in a 24 to 48 hour window. So when you get the serendipity of that much going at you, that's when I go to my default protecting mechanism of I got to protect myself with perspective. What I, you know, let's role play. Let's make pretend everything that I wanted to happen here professionally or personally was going that way. But the phone call I get is that my sister is sick. What kind of mood would I be in? There's no level of, you know, kind of selfish personal happiness nor professional happiness that would lead to me being happy with that news. So instead of dwelling on this micro issue, let me be grateful for the macro happiness that I have in the health and well-being of the people I love the most. And it almost always, and I mean always, works for me when I need to really push my own self into that mindset. Do you have people you feel who, who help you keep that mindset or to drop back into that practice? Because I feel like as human beings, we tend to drift the opposite way. You know, we let those micro things in our day to day kind of take over and then we get stuck with that energy of nothing's going my way. Nothing's working. Everything's hard. Do you have that I naturally I, or just I don't have that. I don't have that gear at all. Hmm. And I know it's like, you know, I always struggle talking about this because I'm aware that it's the minority. But it's my truth. I, I just. Because I'm very accountable and I'm not entitled. When something's not going my way, my mind goes into what am I doing wrong? And that doesn't make me beat myself up. That actually makes me feel empowered that I can fix it. So, but to answer your question, I, w I would say my, my mom and my best friend Brandon are two very optimistic, positive reinforcements. So I think, you know, they're, you know, not that I need to rely on it. It's more like maintenance than it is fixing. I think subconsciously when I need a little maintenance and don't even realize it, I'm probably speaking to them more often. Do you have a, a daily practice just to take care of yourself, to stay in that space, something you do every day? Or is it this overarching energy you just wake up with? I think that's right. I think it's every second. I think it's my oxygen. I am within my mind at all times around this issue. It is that effective. It is that. It also isn't a farce, like... This has now been consistent for a very long, 20, 30 years of like in this kind of state. I would argue as soon as I was done with school, which is a real negative framework for me, I've been basically in this place of gratitude that I get to do what I love and that I'm good at. And then that feeds all the other aspects of gratitude, professionally, personally, things of that nature. I mean, we spend so much time in our professions that it's, I think, why I've zeroed in on trying to help people really debate how to make themselves happy.
And it's uh, this this reminds me of something that I so my husband isn't really a big, big social media guy, doesn't really, you know, not so much out there in the world. He's a Caribbean surfer dude. And he didn't know so much about you. And we had a friend at the house and he said, you know, Dennis, Dennis is my husband. If you're in the world of business, of entrepreneurship, if that's your religion, then Gary is Jesus. <laughs> we had this kind of laugh of like, man, that's a really big statement to make. Um I, and I feel like when we listen to you speak, you have a way of weaving in spirituality through gratitude in a way where you feel it, it. Sometimes it feels like you're preaching when you're when you're speaking. Does it ever feel that way to you? It does a little bit. I think you're right, and I think I think I get I I love that, and I fear it. Meaning, I love it because without being deeply knowledgeable about spirituality and religion, it means some of these things are pretty tried and true and have lasted a long time and are stories that people continue to tell. I fear it because I think the other part of me that makes me who I am within the entrepreneurial landscape, which is I'm pretty successful, is that I'm extremely practical and I'm an executor. And I worry that people think you can just rah rah motivate yourself to success. Yeah, you know this. There's a small subset of people who don't necessarily love me. They think I'm too aggressive, and it's because I'm suffocating excuses. You know, you know. Back, you know, I, I believe in accountability, which often comes at the conflict of spirituality or religion. Is that it wasn't my fault, or there's a bigger force there out there? You mean in that sense? Yeah, or God will take care of this for me if I just keep praying. <laughs> like God's not going to execute your marketing plan. Like, you know, like it's a, it's a real thing. And like, I think it depends on one's perspective, but I think like that's that juxtaposition of like, you know, very macro belief and tried and true principles with deep, deep micro execution and hard work and, you know, humility really, I think is a, is a formula that tends to bring success. And I think this uh, this is a, a good segue for me into this question because this relates so much to the the industry that I'm in, the yoga world, where you know there's a a lot of people out there who have taken something very very you know personal and spiritual and sacred to them, wanting to take that passion, turn it into a business, get out there in the world and start teaching yoga. And something that I hear a lot is, you know, I'm trying to manifest. I'm meditating. I'm practicing. I'm doing my yoga practice. I'm really, you know in the zone with this, but how come I'm not, I'm not growing? How come I'm not there scaling my business? What's, what's not working? You know, do I need to meditate a little harder? This is what leads to a lot of things I talk about, which is, you know, how I got to things like patience. You know, a lot of times when I talk to friends about this, I'm like, well, tell me about it. And they're like, well, I've been doing it. And I'm like, okay. And so is, they've been only doing it for two and a half years. And they're baffled why they're not making millions or at the top of their game. And I try to remind them that they're like five seconds in. You know, I mean, two and a half years is just not a very long period of time. And what about for people you think who are, because that also is true to some people who are grinding at the same thing, you know, for a really, really, really long time doing the best they can. Do you have any advice when it comes to having that up-leveling moment? Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you've been doing something for 13 years, very hard to the best of your ability and the results aren't there, A, you have to fundamentally do it completely differently. B, there's a high likelihood that you stink at it. Now, if you love yoga teaching and your thought of like success is 500,000 a year and you're stuck at 87,000 and you've done it for 13 years, 
and I've just said you stink at it, quote unquote. The reality is, is if you're happy because you love yoga teaching and you've figured out how to live within the lifestyle of $87,000 and not amassed a lot of debt buying things to act like you're successful, well, then you've actually won. But the market is the market. This is not me deciding. I don't think you stink. The market told you for the last 13 years that you stink. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's really true. And I think especially in the, in the yoga industry, it's especially true also because it comes teaching yoga, making a living in that field comes along with a little bit of shame, I think, or I see that a lot in this, in this, in this world where it's almost like it's shameful. We shouldn't talk too much about wanting to make money, wanting to be abundant, wanting to get rich, wanting to really have everything we totally dream for. That makes sense to me. I think, yeah, I think we tend, we tend to demonize what the left or the right, the spiritual or financial. It's as if you can't see the value in both. It's really sad. And it's led to a lot of the division in America and around the world. Like, I just don't understand why somebody can't be purple. Why do you have to be black and why do you have to be blue and red? Like, why can't you be entrepreneurial and spiritual? <laughs> I, I mean, this is like the internal question, I feel like, in this. I swear, every person I have on this show who is in the wellness world has started out with that kind of, yeah, like it's shameful or you're not supposed to make money. I think when you start off teaching yoga, people tell you, but this is spiritual for you. You should do it for free, you know, and it's led to this market or this industry where people aren't making any money. My big thing when I hear that from people is like, you do it for free. I'm not telling you how to live your life. <laughs> Don't tell me how to live mine. Like, if you're supposed to teach yoga for free, you do that. Like, don't worry about me. This is my house. I'll decorate it how I want. But I won't judge yours. And so, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's not super complicated. I mean, it's so easy for people. To, I think one of the least spiritual things is to cast judgment on others. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> And somehow that's the most common thing, especially in that world. It's that quasi-spiritualist thing of like, I'm more spiritual than you, so I am not out there trying to make money, you know. And that's what leads to some of the content I talk about, which is the ability not to listen, both to pro and con. Don't over get hyped when somebody's like, oh my God, you're so amazing. You have a million dollar yoga teaching business. You're the best. Don't take that in. Because then when somebody says, you're a farce, this is supposed to be spiritual, you can't be charging this. You don't hear that person either. And I think people are addicted to compliments, which then allows them to be crippled by people that, ha you know, put judgment on them or negative. And I think that's something that I think a lot about. I I've really gotten, I, I, whether it was natural, it was, it was parenting, it was environment. I just have not had the ability to think up special. And think about what you just said earlier about that friend telling you, right? Like, I, you, you hear, I mean, like, that's, a, that's an outlandish statement. And for some reason, in my mind, when I hear that, I take it as I understand the perspective of that. And I'm so grateful that I have the capabilities to even lead to one even saying something like that. But I don't jump into starting to get high on my own supply and believe it in the same way that I don't struggle with negative feedback because I know that person has no context. But it's a hard thing to do, I think, especially on, on social media, I think, especially with with young entrepreneurs or people who are out there trying to build a brand, trying to build a business, getting a little bit of traction, and then suddenly you have negative feedback because it kind of answers that question we're asking ourselves all the time. Am I good enough? Yeah, but I would argue in a lot of ways the reverse. Most people have a father or mother 
that are the person that's saying they can't do it. And that carries more weight than a million anonymous people on a social network. I would argue that if you look at the data, that there's a lot more positive reinforcement happening in those comment sections than negative. But we tend, we tend to dwell on the negative, not get fueled by the positive. I mean, especially if it's already ingrained. If we genuinely believe we're not enough, we're not going to make it, you know, we heard that our whole childhood, our whole life, then all it takes is one person telling us, yeah, you're not going to make it, or this is fake, this is bad, and you're going to get totally stuck on that. So for me, we talk a lot about in the Yoga Girl community around therapy and healing those childhood wounds, you know, changing that conversation. Is that something you've ever, you know, participated in, kind of working through that old sticky stuff? Of course. I, I think I'm an entrepreneur disguised as a therapist or vice versa. You know, like I think the reality is, is that all, of, all this is mindset. I, I spend an enormous amount of time trying to pick up context on my employees. I, I'm funny because I'm so not interested in prying into people's personal life, but I'm, I'm deeply interested in that context because it helps me manage and lead better. So, yeah, something I think about every day. I mean, Nature nurture. This has been established long before I came along. And so I believe in it. And I and like big data, I'm good at synthesizing it and creating observations from it. And I'm passionate about it. And I think it, it, it really shines through. And I think that's why it's you can I can listen to you speak about things that maybe I'm not actually all that interested in, like big picture, picture things. But because you can relate it to that, there's something heartfelt that makes me go, yeah, yeah, I feel that even though I can't relate to that situation. I, I feel that. Um, I want to I wanna ask you a, a personal question or something that's personal for me. So I am, uh, I'm just coming out on the other end of this kind of, kind of a burnout. I don't, I, I don't love identifying it or kind of, you know, putting it in that box. But I've had a lot of years of working really, really fucking hard. Hard for my business, for my family. And I ended up deprioritizing myself somehow along the way. Like I had, a, I had a kid three years ago. Everything became much more challenging, obviously, with a baby and now a toddler. And... I've started to slow down the past couple of months, really making those active decisions to prioritize downtime and rest and time spent at home undisturbed and all of this. And of course, immediately, I am also sensing uh, slowing down in the growth of my business, which drives me insane because I, I want to believe that there is some sort of reality out there where I can stay calm and peaceful and have all those things that I want when it comes to taking care of myself and still see some growth when it comes to my business, do you think that that's a possibility or is it like having your cake and eating it too? I think it's a possibility if you hire well, you know, it's a, uh, I think it's a little cake and eat it too. Like, you know, as you know, a, a business is like a child and how much you put into it tends to be how much you get out of it. And so I just think it's more about realizing that you're making a choice that is better for you in the macro and though, since you associate as an entrepreneur and it's your, it's your art in some way, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. But you're, you're choosing for, your, for the betterment of your macro these, these alternatives, and that's nice, and that's good. And if you want to sustain, sustain growth, you're going to have to, quote-unquote, be better in the, limited in the less time that you put into it. Or you're going to have to hire infrastructure that allows you to scale as you try to find the balance. Did you experience anything around that? I mean, I know you're a dad and your kids are older, older than, my, than my daughter, but have you had moments like that where you've really felt okay? And then what did that look like? It looked like me calibrating the fact of like, I'm okay with this because I want to come home on Friday night or 
uh, I don't work weekends anymore, and that's good. Like, I get this, but yes, my numbers at Wine Library will be down. It's just making choices and then trying to build up the people around me, you know, as with my content. I did my own content for seven years, and then I decided to hire people around it because I wanted it to grow, and I didn't have the bandwidth because VaynerMedia was starting to grow. So it's, it, it's very obvious. It's about, it's about not making your identity the business growth, right? It can't be your identity. Yeah, but it, it's hard to not get totally swept up with, you know, like it's going so amazingly great, but I'm killing myself, which, you know, equates. The time I put in is, is, is what I get in return as well. But I don't know. For me, it's also redefining what success is, you know, like I want to be home with my kid and be a really good mom and not be burnt out and have a thriving business. Now you got it. And the thriving business can be redefined. And, and also, if, when you put patience into it, when you put patience into it, it plays out in a totally different way. Like, what's great about entrepreneurship that's different than being an athlete is you could be doing it in 17 years. <laughs> yeah. Long-term thinking is not really my, my, my forte. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 get, I get you. But like, think about it. It's really powerful, right? Like, in 17 years, your th- three-year-old is not going to be around you every day. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It goes by fast. People keep telling me that she's three. So it's still like the days are still very long and the nights as well. But how is how is fatherhood for you right now? Do your do your kids have an interest in this world of yours as well? Yes. I mean, like, yes and no. I, my daughter is not an entrepreneur. From what I can tell, she's 10. I feel comfortable in saying that. She's also an all time good student. So that's interesting because that's super weird for me. <laughs> but she loves, like, content, and she's very creative. And my little guy is really into sports cards and going to the show and, like, shows those tendencies. And so it's, it's been very fruitful and rewarding and something that I love quite a bit. You know, as you probably know, like, and you can tell, I'm uncomfortably private in my actual personal life in comparison to, like, how much content, how prolific I am in communicating the other parts of my career. So it's uh, it's wildly enjoyable. My family is my, my world. That is my infrastructure. People get a whole lot of me on the business entrepreneurial and personal brand stuff and a whole not a lot of me in personal side. And that's how I like it. And that's what's sustainable and kind of what works for me. And I love how we can find our own, you know, really the day-to-day of what works through that. For me, it's kind of the other way around. I think because... Because I've been slightly, I'm realizing this now, I've been slightly uncomfortable taking on the role of like, hey, I'm really, you know, working to scale my business and I want to talk about how I do that in this world because it's, it's been a challenging conversation for me. But in terms of, in terms of social media, like I share more of the, of the personal day-to-day, motherhood, yoga, all of this. Do you think authenticity is the way to go on social media always or the combination of strategy and authenticity? Always authenticity. I mean, strategy... The strategy should be authentic. Like anything that isn't actually true or is embellished is inherently vulnerable. Like fake it till you make it is not is only going to trick losers. So, yeah, it's the only strategy. That's why I don't talk about a lot of things. You know, if you really look at it, like I don't want to. People start talking about things they don't know about because they think it's a strategy for social media. That's crazy. Yeah, but what about that, you know, just scrolling through Instagram, you see, I mean, there's so many people out there putting on, you know, like sharing the really good looking body stuff or the Photoshop photos or look at me in my perfect life. And you can kind of sense that, 
you know, the authenticity isn't fully there, but then still it's where people gravitate a lot. Do you have any advice for people? A lot of people ask that in, for this for this show. Just a, a bunch of likes and a bunch of followers does not mean happiness or business success. And until people realize that, they'll be t- continue to be tricked by this question. So how can we help them along there? Because I feel like that's such a big, big thing right now. By answering the question in the way I just did when you asked it and by allocating our busy time for things like this, right? We just did, which is what's so powerful. It's what keeps me motivated in the fact that the far majority of people don't execute on the things I talk about. Is that I know one person right now just heard that and actually changed their relationship with social media. I mean, I th- I, th- I think that's I think that's true. It was one of the most asked questions. You know, where should I be focusing my energy? Should I do this? Should I do that? I think if we want to get tactical, since we've been very high level, look, TikTok is an underpriced platform. Like LinkedIn is an underpriced platform, and what I mean by that is you can post on there, spend no media dollars, and get organic reach without having an audience. And that is very powerful for the far majority of the people that are listening. Totally, hundred hundred percent. Like people hit people hit me up all the time. Like Gary, they're like, Gary, this stinks. Like Instagram used to be so good. Like I was on there, and like now everyone's copied me. And I always reply, I'm like, first of all, you copied <laughs> someone else. Second of all, like that's called supply and demand. Like kudos to you that you got on Instagram early enough that it brought you value, just like the person before you did that on Facebook, and the person before you did that on MySpace. Like Tila Tequila was the Instagram girl long before Instagram existed. She did on MySpace. Like that's what always happens. And like, I'm sorry that now you have to compete with more people. You have to compete with more people now. And like, if you're not good enough to be the best of that competition, you don't deserve to get the brand deal or the sell your subscription product. It's called real life. So you think it's safe to say people are just sometimes a little bit too full of themselves? <laughs> I think people get, I think people get caught in a micro moment and think that they are owed something. I'm very happy that you've won for 18 months on Instagram, but then when it's not working as well, they blame the algorithm instead of the fact they aren't putting out anything new or interesting. And still it's like the number one most talked about thing thing right now is how do we change this? How do we get back to what it was? And it's just, yeah, it's, it's not the same and it's going to continue to change. We'll never go back to where it was and it shouldn't. Instagram's free. Instagram's free. They're not, they shouldn't be in... It shouldn't be like if that's what happens. Like if that's the case, can I go back to 19? Can I go back to 1880 and buy up New York City? (laughs) Like it's so laughable. Like Instagram should go back to where it was six years ago for you. So what? You can make more money on it without paying for it. Like what are we talking about here? The level of entitlement is audacious. So where do you think we're going? You know, do you what do you project in in this in this online world, world of social media? Like five, ten years from now, where are we going to be? That I never know. I know where we're at now, and I know what's emerging kind of in the short term. I think audio is a very interesting space. If people don't have podcasts, they should highly consider it. Audio ads. Spotify has got some great products coming soon. Alexa, Google Home will be at scale with technology at scale, and those devices will be interesting. I mean, I can't imagine being in the yoga business and not being full-pledged on TikTok right now. It is completely winning on an everyday basis and growing in the early 20-year-old set, which is an extremely interesting target for your world. And, you know, if you're not making three pieces of content for TikTok every day and you're spending that time and energy complaining about Instagram, 
you deserve to lose. And what about for people who aren't in this world in that sense? You know, the regular day-to-day, say a yoga teacher, for instance, who's just grinding, teaching classes, super passionate, great at what they do, and they don't want to have that kind of online presence. What kind of advice do you have for that type of entrepreneur? Great. I mean, kudos to you. Recognize that you're vulnerable because the world continues to go into that world. And somebody in your local town may start a profile and steal all your clients. Know that could happen. But if you don't want to do it because you don't like it, like, that's nice. You know, I'm fine with that. I just, as long as you respect the vulnerability, like, this is how the world's moving. Don't forget that your practice of yoga and teaching that took away from some gym that sells treadmills. So, So if somebody comes along and builds a huge local profile on Facebook and Instagram and starts taking your clients, don't be mad at the advances of technology or the way that the consumer has shifted. 40 years ago, nobody went to yoga classes. Right. And now it's a it's an 80 billion dollar industry globally. And that that leads me to my to my next question, because there are so many people who are living that grind, you know, I, I don't know how much you know about, you know, the, the business of teaching yoga, but it is a massive business, $80 billion business worldwide. And teaching yoga, you make maybe 20, 30, maybe 40 bucks a class if you're lucky. From the way I look at it is that there's a there's a model in the yoga world that isn't sustainable because it's not, it's never going to pay off to just teach yoga. You know, every yoga teacher has a side job. Do you have any words of wisdom for the people who are, you know, looking to totally make this their passion, knowing that they have entered a field that's super challenging to, yeah, to become abundant from? Well, I mean, I think happiness needs to be the ROI. It just has to be. And so if this is the thing that makes you the happiest in the world, maybe you're not destined to make 680000 a year, and that is super okay. If you want to make 680000 a year and this is what you love, well, then you need to be the best of the you know, 80 billion worth of teachers in the world. That's how the economics of life work. And if you're more focused on 700,000 a year than you are on the thing that makes you the happiest, well, then yoga teaching could be your side hustle and your occasional thing and go do something else that has more earning power. That's a really practical, you know, that's a practical answer to all three. All three, those are the options. Yeah, they are, they are. You know, like Gary, that's not fair. I love this and I should be able to make money. I'm like, good news, you can. I promise you, the top 1,000 yoga teachers in the world financially are making a lot of money. Yeah, they are. And, you know, taking yoga teacher training, is it's thousands of dollars. And then it's kind of selling this big dream of, you know, pursue your passion, go do this, go change the world through yoga. But then you have a yoga studio, you can fit like 30 people in there, people pay 10 bucks a class. It's not a sustainable model. No, but as you know, as you know, maybe not the most popular character in the yoga world, but then a gentleman came around and created a version of the yoga and built a brand around it. Like, you know, it's not the consumer's fault that there's so many yoga teachers that the price of a yoga class is 10 bucks. It's not their fault. It's called supply and demand. Right. But say you would want to take a step in the direction of trying to change that because I'm passionate about that. You know, I lead teacher trainings. I want my students to be able to go out there and not have such a hard time. They have to have a unique value prop. Maybe you play better music during a class or no music at all. Maybe it's, maybe it's cold instead of hot. You have to innovate. If you're just going to be like, come to my studio and have a yoga class, there's eight fucking trillion people that do that. It's 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You're hitting the nail on the head, but <laughs> nobody feels bad for McDonald's that their burgers a dollar because there's also Burger King and Wendy's. Like I'm like I, my big thing when it comes to business talk is like, listen, the market's the market. It's like 
you know, like yoga used to be more expensive when there was less studios. I mean, just the way it is. I, pro- I promise you that if one company controlled all the water in the world and bottled water and they controlled it, it'd be a lot more expensive than a buck. If you signed up to do business, you can't cry about business. No, true that. Okay, I have one more personal question for you. So I'm in a place right now where I, I grew my tiny little business from my you know, kitchen. We have a team of 30 people now and, and you know, we've never taken a loan, never had an investor. And I'm in a place where I'm wondering, is there a moment when you know is the right time to look for an investment to exponentially scale the business? Or is it something that just needs to be strategized and you have to just make it work somehow? I'm kind of waiting for the sign that it's the time. Yeah, I think it's a personal decision. I think that people are romanticizing it too much. I think the second you you think investment year is a bad day, not a good day. I, I try to tell when I hear homegrown 30 employees, no funding, I, I always ask them, why not bank loan? You know, because it's out of fashion. But if you're using capital to grow quicker, you could do it in the source of a loan and not give up any of your business. So, you know, don't put raising capital on a pedestal. Okay, that's good advice. Yeah, I think we have. <laughs> you know, yeah, people feel like it's some sort of thing you graduate into. It usually means to... Some of, I mean, the amount of, I literally have had two dinners in the last week where the person said the worst mistake they ever made was K-Capital. Hey, if there's something yeah. we can do for you right now, everybody listening, something that we can do to enrich your day, what would that be? Just say hello. You know, I'm all over the place. It's not hard to find. Just say hello would be awesome. Tell me how you like the interview. I, I love feedback. So. Thank you so much, Gary. Thank you. So grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and a huge thanks to my guest, Gary V. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. You can find all of them on yogagirl.com, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you normally get your shows. Don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work and thanks to my sponsors. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.